Uh, about two o'clock yesterday, I could feel and hear my voice taking a different direction because something's going around. And um, so if I hit a high note a couple times in the course of this message, I just want to alleviate the concern on everyone's mind. It is not puberty, all right? I, I've cleared that process, all right? 38 years old. Anyhow, um, hey, say this with me or repeat this after me. What I win people with, I win people too. One more time. What I win people with, I win people too. That is a statement that is actually, uh, it's pretty broadly known out there in a number of books and stuff like that, but there's a lot of truth to it as well. I mean, I think about the place that we get our car tires from. And do you want to know what they won me with? It was a rebate. It was a re I mean, I want good tires and everything, but when I saw the rebate, I was like, I'm in. I'm in. But now, uh, the implication of that is that every time they contact me, what do I have in mind? A rebate. Yeah, I mean, we all understand this. But there's also something about that statement, what I win people with, I win people too, that can be very, can bring about a, a lot of self-centeredness about us, because that statement can make me think that it's all up to me, that I've got to somehow win people over with my stunning good looks, my incredible basketball skills, my thick, velvety, flowing locks of hair, um, something, why are you laughing? Um, but th there's this dynamic that is always there because of our human nature, that we constantly are thinking it's up to us to win people over. Well, let me read you something. And this is something that Jesus said. These were basically marching orders to his disciples. He had been crucified. He was raised from the dead. And he was speaking to the 11 disciples. And here's what he said to them. End of Matthew, chapter 28. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if you were to sit there and read that and spend some time with it, there is something very, very clear in that, that Jesus says, I want you to win people. I want you to go, and I want you to win people. But that is where that piece of us creeps in, where we, we start to think it's up to us. But if you were to spend time reading what Jesus said there, it's really interesting because what he describes is really a process. And it's a process that requires us to walk next to people. And as we've been walking through this series and talking about who we are as a church, there, there's one thing that has become abundantly clear in my own mind as I look back over years and years being here that no matter how many times the faces change, one of the things that God has chosen to win people with are relationships that point people to a relationship with him. There's a very real part of all of that that, that has been so present here at the church through the years, that we walk with people. I mean, you just think about the reason you're here or the people that you know here, and chances are they are people who have invested in your life who have walked next to you, who have talked with you, who have uh, walked with you during uncertainty, during pain, whatever it is. But Jesus set it up this way. He said, look, you want to win people, 
If you want to win people into following Jesus, well, there's a very, very, very real element of relationship there. And so the question for us becomes, how do you navigate that thing inside that makes you feel like well, it's up to me and I've got to do it? It's, it's something I have wrestled with and wrestled with and wrestled with. You know, we remember, we remember so many of the youth through the years that we worked with, with junior high and in high school. But there was one, there's one who stands out that I was telling a group of, I was telling our Stephen ministers about this on Monday night. There was this kid years ago, it was our first year working with junior hires, a kid named Sean Paul. And that was his first name and his middle name. I'm trying to even remember his last name. But Sean Paul, and for those of you who are into the music scene, not the rapper, okay? At least I don't think so. That would be awesome. Maybe he wrote all those songs about us. Anyway, no, Sean Paul was this kid who, uh, I remember the first night his mom dropped him off. And I've got all these plans, like how to wow a kid the second they get out of the car. And so we've got dodgeballs ready. We've got people ready to descend on him and, and talk to him. And Sean Paul gets out of his mom's car and just starts walking, like out into the parking lot. I went, okay, so I tried to catch up to him, and um, just, do you have those people in your life that you can ask them a question, or you can ask them 20 questions, and the most you're getting back is one word? That was Sean Paul. Okay, so over and over and over, I would, I would see kids um, huddling up and talking with each other and having a good time, but then I would look, and there's Sean Paul, and he's just, I'm not kidding, he would be walking our parking lot out here. And I would just I would go lean over to a leader and say, hey, can you go get Sean Paul? Bring him back over here. Um, let's introduce him to some kids. So for weeks and weeks that turned into months and months that turned into a couple long years of working with junior hires, Sean Paul was the wanderer. And he would just wander and wander and wander. I'd be teaching lessons and uh, I'd see his eyes starting to half close. And I thought, he's just, he's our prayer warrior. That's what he is. He's our prayer warrior. And I just thought, Lord, I, all through this, I'm just having this dialogue with God, which really felt more like an argument with God. I just went, I, I don't know how you thought I could do this. I don't feel like I'm any good at this. I mean, and, and I'm just staring at Sean Paul, and I'm just thinking, I cannot engage this kid. Well, he got out of junior high, and um, once he got into high school, we really didn't see him around much. And it was one of those stories um, it was one of those stories that I just struggled with because I always wondered during those high school years, what became of Sean Paul? And, and I had really looked in the mirror and I just, I felt like a failure because I just felt like I could not connect with this kid at all over and over, no matter how many opportunities. And it was like God bringing him back each week really felt more like torture than anything else. And so as we look at this idea of connecting with people, because we've, we've talked a lot about who we are as a church. We want to be a place, and we are a place where people can connect with Jesus, connect with people, and connect people with Jesus. And that connect people with Jesus part, we're going to talk about this week and next week before we wrap up. It is really the Great Commission. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, but how do you do that? How do you do that when you're constantly wrestling, well, what am I supposed to do and what's my part, God? Because we tend to think we've got a big part in it. Well, that day that Jesus said all that to the 11 disciples, there was one guy who wasn't there. And it was a guy that would enter the story later on, who'd be recruited later on, is a guy named Paul, Saul, who would become Paul. 
And Paul took that make disciples of all nations very literally and very seriously. Paul was all over the map and he was starting churches and in his letters to the churches that we now read in the New Testament, he is addressing people by name. Paul was a guy who walked with people. And so it's Paul's words that I want us to look at this morning because as Paul reflects and as Paul looks and as Paul talks about what does it look like to walk with people, there's a letter he wrote to the Colossians And at the very end of Colossians, it almost comes across as concluding remarks. He says something that I think is so perspective-giving for us in terms of how we walk next to people. And so if you have your Bibles, we're in Colossians chapter 4, or it'll be up on the screen. But take a look at what Paul says, because Paul's emphasis really is that this is all about him. Not Paul, but God in his way of doing things. Chapter 4, verse 2 He says this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, this was very convicting for me because as I think about my prayer life and what I'm devoted devoted to in prayer, whose agenda do you think comes to mind? Mine. Most of the time, it's my agenda. God, what I want you to do for me, what I want you to fix for me, what I want you to take care of so that I'm not, I'm not burdened or having to worry about anything. But at the end there, Paul uses, he uses a few words, being watchful. Well, to be watchful would mean that I've got to look out for something outside of me. It means maybe this isn't about my doing. He says being watchful and thankful. In other words, not just watching for something outside of me, but he implies that something has been given to me that I'm supposed to be saying thank you for. And Paul's getting at something here. He highlights something, that this is not about our agenda. This is about God's agenda. He actually included us in his activity, in his agenda. So Paul says, be watchful for his activity. Be thankful that you get to be part of it. This is like being in the car and we're all used to being in the driver's seat. And he says, you're, you're no longer, once you signed up to go and make disciples, you are no longer in the driver's seat. You get to be part of the car, but he is truly the one driving. Paul goes on, verse three, he says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Did you catch what he said there? Who opens the door? God opens the door. That God would open a door for our message. See, oftentimes, I'm the one who wants to open the doors. And I don't just like to open them. Usually, I like to kick the doors down. And I want to bust my way through. And he says, no, pray for us that God would open the door. In other words, it's about God's agenda, but it's also about God's doing. It takes his strength to do it. Yesterday, a, uh, my brother-in-law, Bo, and a friend of ours, Ryan, we, um, we decided to put a fireplace insert into our fireplace. And it was one that my wife had found on Craigslist. And uh, I thought, no big deal. It's fireplace insert. Just, we'll just pick it up and we'll put it in the back of the truck. And do you know what fireplace inserts are made of? <laughs> They're cast iron. Um, which may not mean anything to you until, so we got up last week, we went up to, it was in Idaho Springs, 
And um, this guy walks out that, I mean, he's, he's not like this massive bodybuilder, but he looks like he could, he could really throw some weight around. And he has this Air Force jacket on, and I just went, oh man, uh, what did we just get ourselves into? And um, the three of us tried to pull this fireplace insert out of that guy's fireplace, and it just didn't really budge at first. And it took a while, um, but we estimate, Ryan, how much do you think that weighed? Like a billion pounds? It was a billion pounds. Let's go with that. It makes us sound cool. Anyway, it's probably about 400 pounds. So yesterday, um, Ryan brought it over in his truck, and he showed up with a separate truck with a cherry picker. Do you know what a cherry picker is? It lifts engines out of cars. And so the way this got into our house was it got lifted out of his truck with a cherry picker, wheeled over to our door, we laid it down, got it on a furniture dolly, put the cherry picker inside our living room, lifted it up, and rolled it over to our, fi our fireplace. And I, I thought about that yesterday, and I just thought, this is so often what we're trying to do. We think we can just pick up something that God has to open. He's got to open the door. Well, Paul goes on. He says it's not just about God's agenda and God's strength or his doing. There's more. Pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. You ever think about the mystery of Jesus? The mystery of Jesus in proclaiming that message to people is you have to somehow be able to communicate, guess what? You're a sinner, and you need him, and I'm a sinner, and I need him. But you know what? God loves sinners so much more than you could ever, ever imagine. And it's this mystery to people because I like to think that I can get me through life and that I can get me right with God. And Paul says, no, that's that's the mystery of Jesus. The mystery of Jesus is that God recognized you can't get right with him on your own. But I love you enough to give Jesus as a sacrifice. But the other mystery of Jesus, I'm convinced, is in having that conversation with people. Because there are emotions that you got to get through. There's baggage you have to get through. There are insecurities, there are dependencies, there are all kinds of things that we have to get through going on inside us and in the person that we're talking to. Paul says it's his agenda, it's his strength, and it's his gospel message. It's his love. Have you ever played the game telephone? Remember telephone, where somebody whispers a phrase in your ear and then you gotta turn and you gotta say it to somebody else. And aren't the worst people to play that game with the ones who, like, they're just smiling the whole time because they know they're going to change the whole message? I, I got to tell you about this maybe at the beginning of last month, but my worst ever game of playing telephone was when I told my friend in high school, there was a girl that I just thought was really cute. I went so far as in my teenage years to think, I love her. I actually love her. And so I told my friend, go tell her that I am interested in her. And so thinking he was taking that message to her. You, you could imagine my surprise when later, a couple days later, I found out he was going out on a date with her. <laughs> yeah, thanks, friend. Thanks, friend. I think I said his name a couple months ago. I'm not going to right now. But this is what we do. God says, listen, I want you to communicate my love to the people that I bring in front of you. And yet so often we think, Oh, I got to win him over to not him, but me. 
Paul says, no, 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 it's God's activity. It's God's strength. It's God's gospel message that is gonna do it. And, and Paul wraps up this thought by saying, pray for us that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. You, know you wanna know what impresses me most about what Paul says here is actually what he doesn't say. Because most of us, and I think about most of my prayers in my life, I have prayed, God, take away these chains. I'm stuck in a tough situation. There's a stubborn person in front of me. I'm dealing with some kind of difficulty. And I want to say, God, take it away. And yet Paul says, no, it's for the gospel that I'm actually in chains. You can look elsewhere in Paul's letter, in his letter to the Philippians. He says, it's because of my chains that the entire Roman guard has discovered about the gospel. It's because of my chains that all my Christian brothers and sisters have been encouraged and they've been emboldened. For Paul, chains were not something to be rid of. For Paul, chains were an opportunity. And it was, it was just more conviction as I read this because I thought, how often am I praying to get out of the situation that God may want me in? because of who, is going to, who he's going to bring me into contact with. I thought about Paul as he sat there in a Roman jail or under house arrest, in chains. They would assign Roman guards to stand guard. And I, have you ever thought about that? A Roman guard stuck in a room with Paul, who wrote so many of the letters we have in the New Testament. What an opportunity. That Roman guard is not getting out of there without hearing about Jesus' love for him. He's just not. And so it, it brings up a question. It brought up a question for me this week. What are the chains that you're facing right now? What are the chains? But more specifically, who sees us in those chains? Who's watching right now as you walk through what you're walking through? I know it feels like chains, but over and over and over, you know what God does? He says, I want to use your chains for the sake of the gospel in someone else's life. Who sees my chains? Because that might just be the opportunity God wants to use. It's God's agenda. It's God's doing. It's God's loving gospel message. It's God's positioning in the chains. Paul continues. Next verse. He says, pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. What if our goal, what if our goal was not an adrenaline rush as we shared Jesus with people? What if our goal was just to be clear, to make his gospel message clear to people? Because Paul says, not only does God take care of all the stuff that he just pointed at, but God wants to give you the words. God wants to give you the words. I, uh, I got a tough reminder of this. Uh, it was last fall, um, True, our eight-year-old, she got invited to a birthday party by a girl from school. And this was a family that we didn't know, and it was a sleepover birthday party. And so we just have, we have a rule that if we, don't, if we don't know the family, you can't spend the night, but you can go to the party in the evening. And so... Um, <clears throat> True didn't love this idea, but we got through it. And we were driving to the birthday party, uh, True and I, 
And I could hear, I could hear, I've told you about this sound she makes when she gets a little nervous. I could hear suddenly in the back seat this, "Ah." I was like, you okay? She's like, yeah. I was like, okay, what's going on, True? And we're getting out of the car to walk up to the front door of the birthday party. She said, well, it's just that her parents might be upset with you. And I was like, why? She's like, well, she asked why, my friend asked why I couldn't spend the night for the birthday party this morning. And I said, okay. And what did you, did you tell her that you're just not spending the night at birthday parties yet? She's like, yeah. I was like, well, what else did you tell, did you tell her? She said, and just know, this has never come out of our mouth. She said, well, I told her it's probably because my parents think her family's criminals. (laughs) So that wasn't the message that was supposed to get through. And right then the door opened. And those parents were so quiet the whole time. I mean, I'm like, hey, I'm Nathan. And uh, it truly brought awkward interaction to a whole new level. I still don't know if that girl went home and relayed that message. But what if we were clear? What if we were cleared? (laughs) It would probably go a lot better. Paul says, it's God's activity. And it's God's doing to open the doors. And it's God's loving gospel message. And it's God's positioning. And it's God's words that he wants to give you, but not just that. I mean, can you hear the emphasis here over and over and over? Verse five, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. That term outsiders for Paul simply meant people outside the church. People outside the church. He said, look, when you encounter outsiders, be wise. Earlier in the book of Colossians, it's chapter two, he points at that we oftentimes interact with people and go about life based on human tradition and human philosophy and what we think is a good idea and the best way we think to win people over. And he says, no, be wise. In other words, this is God's way of interacting with outsiders. Paul has a heart for people that just because they're outside the church doesn't mean they're outside of God's love. There's an opportunity here. So he says, make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity with these outsiders. In other words, do we see them the way God sees them? As as you think about all this, Who's God bringing to mind? Who's the person God's bringing to mind that, that just maybe you've thought of them as an obstacle or they're so stubborn or they just, no, they're not gonna wanna hear it. Who is it? Because it just may be that God may just be asking you to bring that before him and let him open the door. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders and as we just said, make the most of every opportunity. Have you ever considered all that God goes through to bring an opportunity and put it on our plate? Well, he includes us in his agenda. He uses his strength. He went to the cross. It's that gospel message. He positioned us. He gives us his words. And he puts people in our lives. 
Because on top of everything we just said, these are God's opportunities as well. I remember I can tell you about the worst day of junior, when I was in junior high. Actually, every day that I was in junior high was the worst day of junior high. But one of my worst moments in junior high, there was this kid, Eric, that was this incredible soccer player. I mean, he was, I just, I'm convinced he, he was going to go pro and be a World Cup MVP one day. But we would play like 25 on 25 soccer um, after lunch in junior high. And it was really like 25 on 25. And Eric, I just told Eric, I said, listen, you're, you're just a wizard with the ball. I just want to get the ball one time. And he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to just go stand down by the goal and uh, I will get the ball to you. All you got to do is just wait, okay? Just, you'll know when it happens. I was like, do I need a signal? He's like, no, you'll know when the opportunity happens. And so Eric, starting at the other end of the field, was just, I mean, just dribbled around, I'm pretty sure, every single person on that field. And I'm getting exciting, excited watching it, and he's coming down the field, and I don't know, there were probably like five, seven people between me and him, and I got so excited and so caught up in it that I left, I left where he said to be, and I went and I actually like stole the ball from him. And, uh, and then do you think I scored a goal? No, not one bit. It got stolen from me. And he looked at me and he just went. It was the equivalent of one job. Nathan, one job. Have you considered all that God goes through to land an opportunity at our feet? He goes through so much. Paul just walked us through it right here. And when you hear all that, it's easy to go, okay, so God, what is our part then? What exactly do you want us to do in the midst of all this? And he tells us in verse six, as he wraps up, verse six, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer, and some translations say respond to everyone. Well, how do you do that? I mean, when I wake up in the day, I don't really feel like I'm full of grace. And I don't really feel like my conversation is seasoned with salt. And I certainly don't know how to answer or respond to everyone. And, and I'm, I'm reminded that for all the stuff God does to bring an opportunity to our feet, you know what he says? You know what he says our part is? He said, I will get you to the opportunity. I just want your proximity. I just want you near me. I just want you to be with me. That is our part because I can't possibly be full of grace and I cannot possibly have my words seasoned with salt if I have not been in the presence of the one who fills us with grace and seasons us with salt and shows us how to respond and walk with people. When Kara and I got engaged, um, that was uh, summer of 2001, we we're out in California, proposed to her on a beach. And um, if you need an idea, there you go. Anyway, um, I had proposed to her. And the next day we were, we were with some friends at the beach and I said, hey, you should get in the water. She's like, no, I just want to stay on the beach. And I was like, come on, get in the water. And, and like a bunch of our friends joined in. They're like, Kara, come on. And uh, this is one day engaged, ladies and gentlemen. I said, sissy, come on, sissy. <laughs> um, don't do that. Just relationship advice. Whether it's romantic relationship or just a, a connection with anybody, don't do that ever, ever. 
Well, I hadn't gotten in the water yet. She just, she, she had this determined look, goes and gets in the water. And it was at this place called The Wedge in Newport Beach, which is where like the world boogie boarding championships take place. And the reason the world boogie boarding championships take place there is because of how big the waves get there. Kara just marches right into the ocean and um, I instantly regretted what I said because this wave picked her up and it just slammed her onto the beach. I mean, those waves crash right there on the beach. And she got up and I'm standing here and she just walked like this close, but the whole time just did not even look at me. And I was like, oops. And all our friends were like, you're so dumb, Nathan. <laughs> uh, and I just thought, how interesting is, as I remember that, I think we often talk and walk with people from a place of not having gotten in the water ourselves. Because when you get into the ocean, when you get into the ocean of God's power and his love, you know what you come out of it with? You're full of grace. Because of the immense, vast power and bigness of all that he is. You know what else happens when you come out of the ocean? You are very literally seasoned with salt. You can actually talk from a place of having been there. You can say, I've been there. And when you interact with others, I can tell you this, you won't say, sissy, get in the water. One bit. I mean, I, I was just picturing like us swimming with the dolphins and all that stuff. No, okay. She's still upset. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but what if we talked with people and walked with people because we've been close with Jesus, filled with grace, seasoned with salt, well, how do you do that? Three times in this passage, Jesus said it. Jesus, Paul said it. Jesus said it through Paul. He said this, devote yourselves to prayer, pray for us, and pray that I may proclaim. You want to know how you get filled with grace, seasoned with salt? It's prayer. You see, we can't walk with them if we don't talk with him. We cannot walk with people if we don't talk with Jesus, with the one who includes us in the agenda, opens the door, gives us the words, brings us the opportunities. We can't do any of it. And so years went by. Sean Paul had gotten out of junior high and I was sure he'd been out of high school and I got invited up to CCU to speak at a chapel up there. And I spoke at this chapel and I, I finished this chapel and I get tapped on the shoulder and turn around and who's standing there? Sean Paul. Sean Paul at Colorado Christian University. And so I said, Sean Paul, how have you been? And he said, I'm so glad to see you. I was just thinking last week about how much fun we had in junior high youth group. I was like, what? I mean, I, Sean Paul, I was on my knees, miserable, feeling like I was a failure, talking to God constantly about what to do about you. And suddenly I realized maybe that was the point. Maybe that was the point. It was not to give Sean Paul this adrenaline rush or anything like that. There's a place for all that and the fun. But maybe this is more about Nathan. You can't walk with Sean Paul 
you're not talking with me. I know his heart. I went to the cross for him. I can take care of him. I know what he needs. You just walk. But in order to walk, you got to talk with me. You want to know how you connect people with Jesus? It's one Sean Paul at a time. You want to know how this church is going to grow? One Sean Paul at a time. Do you want to know how we carry out the great commission that Jesus gave us? One Sean Paul at a time, which means one conversation at a time with our Heavenly Father. That's what it takes. That's all it takes. That's what wins people into becoming disciples of Jesus Christ when they get to walk next to somebody who's in contact with him over and over. And so, as the worship team comes up to close, there are Stephen ministers um, throughout this congregation that so, so just live out and embody and have a gifting to pray. And so, as this last song is played, could I, could I ask you to consider would you spend some time? You can find a Stephen minister. They'll be around the sanctuary. They've got a name badge on. Would you go find one and go just spend some time in prayer because it's there. It's there that God wants to say, here's my agenda. This is how I'm going to open the door. Here are my words. Here's my gospel message. Here are the people. Here's the opportunity. It's in that time of prayer that he wants to fill us with grace and season us with salt. We can't walk with them if we don't talk with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who for all the times that we think it is about us and we've got to somehow win, win people to ourselves, you continue to bring us opportunities. And over and over and over, you gradually open our eyes to the fact that you are a God who you take care of the entire process. So with that in mind, let us approach the people in our lives as we think about connecting people with you from a different vantage point, from a place that says, God, I just want to be talking with you so that I can be walking with people. We pray all this in Jesus' name.